Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All views of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning, good morning, listeners. And that's correct. Another great uh, show of Asia Pacific Currents coming up to you here on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. Now, before I give you a bit of uh, uh, change in the studio today, just to um, say uh, thanks to Solitary Breakfast for another very interesting show. And that song that you were listening was I Smell Trouble by Paul Kelly. But there's no trouble in here. My name is Pierre Morrow, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. And good morning, Matt. Hi, Pierre. Good to be in the studio with you. That's right. And uh, Giselle's taking a break, so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd bring the, the, the heavy artillery, some uh, you know, real, real um, experience uh, journalists. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> You're going to end up in a lot of trouble when Giselle listens back to the podcast, Pierre. That's right. I think that's enough defamation for one day. <laughs> um, anyway, Giselle will be back uh, next week, and she'll be able to have fun because I won't be in the studio next week. So um, over to you, Giselle. But if you're interested to watch you'll be hearing on this uh, program, um, you can contact AWL on 9663-7277 or you can go to our website, uh, all the W's, aawl.org.au or Facebook or Twitter and um, and see um, the follow-up with some of these news. But on today's program, we'll have the usual uh, news roundup. We'll have six um, stories. And uh, the in the interview uh, for today is actually a follow-up of the big story of last week about um, in South Korea about the death of a subcontractor worker and the struggle and the campaign against subcontracting and uh, casualization and occupational health and safety in South Korea. So um, we caught up uh, last Tuesday uh, with Wilson Liam, who is the International Relations Officer of the Korean Public Transport Union. But that'll <coughs> be in about um, 10 minutes' time. And um, all right, Matt. You can go first with the first uh, news item. Go for it. All right. Thanks, Pierre. The first one's about migrant workers leaving Saudi Arabia, where at the peak of its economic activity, Saudi Arabia had close to 11 million migrant workers employed in mainly infrastructure projects. And most of these were coming from poor communities in Asia and Asia and Africa. And as widely reported, they endured terrible conditions, unsafe working uh, working conditions, low pay and precarious residency status. In the last couple of years, with the slowdown of its economy, Saudi Arabia has started to send back increasing numbers of migrant workers, and this has led not only to complaints from migrant workers of unpaid wages and benefits, but is creating big problems inside Saudi Arabia as local workers are willing sorry, as local workers are unwilling to work at these jobs due to low wages and unsatisfactory working conditions. Thanks for that. And um I'm glad you didn't hear any of the noises. I was just trying to get my mic um, set up properly here. We go to next door to Syria, where last week a five-story building collapsed in the northern Syrian city of Aleppo, killing 11 people who were living in there. The building had been under repairs as it had been damaged uh, during the eight-year civil war that followed the popular uprising in 2011. 
Local reports say that many other nearby buildings are also on the verge of collapse, with satellite data suggesting that more than 35,000 structures in the city alone had suffered damage. Notwithstanding the obvious dangers, uh, many of these buildings are their only shelter uh, for working class um, families who occupy them because they're desperate to find some shelter amid uh, the ruins of war. It has actually been estimated that currently it would cost somewhere between $300 billion to $400 billion to rebuild serious ruined housing and infrastructure. So quite dangerous times for our sisters and brothers in Syria still. And a very small fraction of the cost it takes to drop bombs on Syria to rebuild that as well, Pierre. That's correct. Uh, Crossing now to India, where the Hyundai workers continue to fight for secure jobs. Last week, representatives from Hyundai Motors India Employees Union filed a complaint with the local Labor Department in Chennai, Tamil Nadu, against the management's unfair practices. And their points were the use of trainees and contract workers in the main production line in contravention to existing labor laws the forcing of permanent workers to undertake overtime work in excess of statutory limits, which has resulted in workers doing shifts of over 72 hours a week, and operating the assembly line during lunch breaks uh, via contract workers and trainees. The Hyundai representatives were joined by labour activists from Yamaha Motors and Asahi Glass. This action against the use of casual and precarious workers is a continuation of the major struggles that we reported on last year that were carried out by the workers at the Enfield, Yamaha and MSI Motor Companies. Now, Matt, you do, um, for listeners, you do another program called The Stick Together, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Uh, which is all about industrial issues. Ever interviewed anyone from Tamil Nadu, from the automobile industry? No, I haven't, actually, but it would be great to do that. I think that uh, there have been incredible um, struggles uh, there. And we go to another uh, massive strike in India, which uh, we've covered a lot over the last few years, and um, it's actually now our uh, our picture for Asia Pacific um, currents on uh, on three CR radio. But um, since the seventh of January of this year, around two hundred fifty thousand midday mill workers in the northern Indian state of Bihar have been on an indefinite strike. Um, since then, demanding a minimum wage as well as other benefits like social security and labour laws. Now, midday midday meal workers are so-called because they prepare meals for children in schools, usually poorer uh, children. They usually um, work in rural areas and are often referred to as Anganwadi workers as they also perform welfare and basic primary health functions. And as regular listeners will, um, will know, we covered these issues, um, these um, strikes um, for the last couple of years. But um, so yesterday on uh, Friday, uh, the 8th of February, Anganwadi Anganwadi workers throughout India went on strike in solidarity with their sisters in Bihar. Now, this struggle is a continuation of the huge strikes that began in 2017 in various parts of India by these Anganwadi workers that has led to increased wages, conditions and more secure jobs for millions of these mainly women workers. And again, really, when people talk about uh, alleviating poverty, uh, the fact that these uh, women workers, millions of them managed to um, increase their salaries, sometimes by 100%, the best poverty alleviation um, uh, program that you could possibly do. Yeah, unionisation gets the good, so... That's right. Um, 
On an official visit to the Philippines this week, the Sri Lankan president, Mathrapala Sirisena, took the opportunity to restate his intention to reintroduce the death penalty for drug dealers in Sri Lanka within the next two to three months. Sirisena also went on to praise Filipino President Rodrigo Duterte for his ruthless approach in his war on drugs, calling it, a, calling it an example to the world. President Duterte's murderous campaign against suspected drug dealers has resulted in over 20,000 murders, mostly carried out by police and paramilitary death squads, in the sprawling urban working class communities. Given Sri Lanka's continuing bad human rights record, such statements from the Sri Lankan president can only foreshadow tough times ahead for workers in Sri Lanka. Um, it's incredible, isn't it, that a president of, of a country can actually say that uh, murdering 20,000 people in your own country um, is an example of the, to the world. Well, birds of a feather flock together, I would say, Pierre. That's, uh, see, I knew you were wise. That's why you're, you're here. Look at that saying. Uh, yes, very sad. Um, we go to our last item. We remain in the Philippines, where hundreds of workers employed by at the Pulido Apparel Company at the San Luis facilities in Batangas province in the Philippines have been on strike since the 21st of January, after the company temporarily shut down its main factory to break the workers' union. The um, company closed the factory in December, just ahead of starting talks for a new enterprise bargaining agreement, blaming financial difficulties. However, less than a month later, in a clear case of union busting, Pulido started rehiring workers at the same factory on two months contracts, while blacklisting the previous uh, workers who'd been union officers and members. The um, striking workers have formed um, uh, picket lines and are demanding the reinstatement of all workers that had been employed in 2018, including activists who, have, who participated in the strike and picket and for collective bargaining negotiation to take place as soon as possible. Unfortunately, um, Matt, probably it's not the first time you've heard of such uh, tactics. Well, people could take their minds back to even the CUB dispute where you know workers who are contracted to larger companies are effectively fired and offered their jobs back on reduced conditions. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tactic they use all over the world and it's one that um, we have to fight back against. That's right. And uh, it's incredible how um, uh, these tactics can easily be copied from country to country. But that's the, all that we've got. Uh, for you for news for the region we'll go to a community announcement and then we'll be back with the interview with uh, Walsam uh, Liam There is power in numbers and there is power in independent community run media join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. It's um, just on 11 past 9 o'clock here on 3CR Radio, listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerlings. And don't forget, subscriber week or subscriber driver is coming up. So if you're not a uh, member of uh, 3CR, you can go to our website. It's probably the best way. And uh, and subscribe. It's, let's see, it's $35 concession, 75 waged, and 150 solidarity, or if you're an organisation, 
Commission. But um, as um, I mentioned before, um, earlier this week on Tuesday, um, I spoke to Walson Liam, who is the International Relations Officer of the Korean Public Transport Workers Union in South Korea. And it's about the, the struggle that has been, that we reported last week about the death of, of a um, subcontract worker at a thermal plant and the, uh, the huge uh, campaign that um, was spawned from from this death, and actually, uh, on Tuesday itself, um, there was a, a an agreement that was reached. But you'll hear uh, more um, about this towards the end of the actual um, interview. Kim Jong Gyun was killed on the 11th of December last year when he got caught in a coal conveyor belt at the Tian Thermal Plant. Can you briefly explain to us the events around his death and the workplace issues he faced? Kim Yong-gyun was a 24-year-old young worker who had been employed only three months ago for a subcontracting company that is is a private company subcontracting for publicly owned power plants. And uh, he was working alone late at night on December 10th. And so it's, it's a little unclear the exact time of his death, but he was working alone doing a check over the a conveyor belt that's used to carry coal to the for fueling of the power plant and he was cleaning out this is what we assume but he was cleaning out the coal that drops beneath the conveyor belt it was really dark i think there are no safety equipment so no headlights just um, sometimes the workers have to use their own cell phones in order to the light from their cell phone and so he was he was alone cleaning out this the coal from underneath the conveyor belt and got stuck in the conveyor belt and he was his body was actually ripped into really tragically um, but there was nobody with him and so he wasn't discovered until early in the morning on uh, December 11th and we've been trying to make clear to the public and to the government and to the power company that ran the Taeyeon um, power that runs the Taeyeon power plant that this was uh, this happened because of violations of safety regulations and also more generally because of a policy of outsourcing and privatization of fueling and maintenance operations at power plants uh, and the use of precarious workers from what you've described his death was uh, horrific and clearly yeah. caused by the workplace conditions that he was placed in and we're going to talk about the movement and the struggle that developed from from then but why do you think that this death really sparked such widespread anger what was this because the way he died, who he was, or was it really the, the straw that broke the camel's back? I think that there's a number of things that came together that uh, made it possible for such a, a, a large movement to develop around this particular incident. Of course, it does have to do with the fact that he was such a young worker and that the death was so tra- tragic and it was so clear that it could have been avoided. Um, but but beyond that, there's a wider political and social context, which is that there has been a lot of attention to uh, the problem of outsourcing and precarious employment, particularly in the public sector and in safety, uh, in jobs that are related to or that have safety functions or that are danger in dangerous work. And so a couple of years ago, there was another similar accident where a young worker was who was uh, repairing a screen door 
in a subway who was also a subcontractor worker was killed and it easily could have been avoided except that there was again a single worker on the job and poor communication between the public corporation that runs the subway and then the private outsourced maintenance companies and so that that had already raised a lot of public uh, anger and then public attention to this problem which we're calling the outsourcing of danger the outsourcing of death and then the other thing is that under the the current government the moon jae government when this government came into power after the candlelight uprising that overthrew the past the previous conservative government one of its first pro- actually it's its very first promise was to insource and make permanent the employment of precariously employed workers in the public sector and so that was and there's been a policy of doing that um, that's gone over, on over the last couple of years but a lot of workers including Kim and his colleagues were have been left out of that process and so right before he died Kim Jong-un actually pr- participated in a very small action where he and his colleagues were holding like signs little small handheld signs that said you know keep your promise to president moon keep your promise we want to meet with you make permanent the employment of precarious workers in the public sector and so all of those things kind of came together both the the tragicness of this individual incident but then also this broader social context and attention to the outsourcing of danger and the problem of precarious employment thanks for that and yes a really tragic to hear the the details of it and the fact that he was actually active against the issue of precarious employment now we've actually mentioned a number of times about the the struggle and the movement that developed since the, his death mm-hmm. on the 11th of december would you like to describe it? because from what i've read it's actually has been quite big over the last seven weeks So right after Kim's death he was actually not yet a union member because he had joined the workforce so recently um but the workers I think he would eventually had once he was uh, slightly more settled in the job he would have become a member of KPTU and we we represent workers both permanently employed workers at the power plants but then also the subcontracted precarious workers and so our union as well as roughly 100 civil society organizations came together to form a civil society coalition calling for justice for Kim Jong-un and particularly an investigation into the root causes of his death and remedy and punishment for for the people responsible and that uh civil society organization in particular uh Kim's mother and father particularly his mother have been have been at the forefront of speaking out not only about his specific incident but calling for recognizing that this is a structural issue and so calling for a fundamental solution and uh, so that that coalition and uh, Kim's parents KCTU and KPTU have been organizing regular demonstrations and sort of in the form of memorial services for the last you know it's it's been 58 days since the accident so every weekend as well as during the week uh, you know once or twice during the week some of the protests on the weekends have gone up to being close to you know 7000 or close to 10000 at one point at one rally a couple weeks ago and in addition to that 10 days ago leaders of the civil society coalition including KPTU's president began a hunger strike calling for a resolution and that hunger strike just ended to today once this settlement the government announced measures for um addressing the issue and then a settlement was reached with the employers and so uh that hunger strike ended today 
it sounds fantastic what you've been able to achieve and, and uh, that campaign I, I saw some stuff on, on social media and looked very very impressive so congratulations to you and all your comrades can you give us a, a bit more information about this uh, agreement and uh, what, what it means yeah in fact we're not entirely satisfied with the agreement I think that there's recognition both that it's a step forward but also that uh, the government's measures fall far short of what the demands of the workers and the union and civil society coalition are. So the government's um, the measures that were announced today were to establish a special workplace safety investigation committee, which is like and the committee and that will investigate the causes of the death, including structural issues. And so that's that's important because that that special investigation was a was an important demand for us, but we have to ensure that the work of that committee goes forward. And then there's an agreement to increase workforce levels in the jobs that, that Kim was doing, and so there will be two people on the job now, and that's also important. There will be some investment into improving um, safety equipment and conditions. And in terms of the insourcing of subcontracted workers, and this, is, this has been a larger issue, um, so we were calling for direct permanent employment of all workers doing both fueling equipment operation and light maintenance. And what the government has said is that some of those workers, the ones doing fueling and operations, will be directly employed by a public institution, but that's not the same power company that, that runs the power plants. It's, it's like a subsidiary. And this has been in this process that is going on throughout the public sector of doing some insourcing. The problem has been that instead of make of getting rid of the subcontracting structure, the the solution, the sort of semi solution has been to keep the subcontracting solu- the structure, but that may do it through a public corporation instead of a private one, which for us is not a final solution because it continues to fracture employment and fractural responsibility for things like safety and working conditions. So that's that's another issue. And then and that also doesn't apply to maintenance workers. The maintenance workers, there's going to be further discussions about their employment. And then the government is establishing a separate task force to make all of th- these things happen. The West Korea Western Power Company, which is the, the parent or the principal company, is paying for funeral arrangements and some other compensation and uh, making a public apology. Uh, some contracting company is also falling in line with this agreement, and they both are agreeing to participate in the investigation. So, so it's a partial win, and it's been a way to bring up the issue of the outsourcing of death, the outsourcing of danger, um, but it's not a final solution. Um, and, and we're also trying to make clear that this can't just be about power plants or the power industry we have to address this issue of excessive subcontracting throughout the public and private sector, and that's a future task. What you've just said would ring very true to all our listeners, uh, both in Australia and internationally, because we know that outsourcing, casualisation and precarious work is unfortunately well established in uh, most countries around the world, and it keeps being expanded because, uh, as you say, it outsources danger, it cut costs, and it also atomizes and divides us. So from your struggle and from your campaigns in South Korea, 
Do you think there are lessons that we can all learn and ways forward that as a movement globally that we can tackle this scourge? Yeah, I mean, I think first the concept of the outsourcing of death or the outsourcing of danger, like you said, rings true. And so to recognize that this isn't a single incident but a structural issue and there have to be structural solutions, I think, you know, Australia in some ways has, you have a system of supply chain accountability that we don't have that holds in some, in some like I think in, in the garment industry and the transport industry to a certain extent, there's, a, there's legal systems to hold the, the principal company or the economic employer or the client or whatever you want to call them at the top of the supply chain accountable. And I mean, that's, that's ultimately what has to happen and that needs to happen on a national level and not just the public sector, but also the private sector and then also on an international level. And so it's actually something I think that requires you know, international movement, international solidarity. I mean, I guess the other thing was that it was really great that the family, uh, Kim's family, and then unions and civil society could come together uh, in such a big way in, in this issue. And I hope that, you know, we can find ways to continue to work together in the future as we go on to the sort of less in the spotlight and more the hard and gritty work of making sure that these measures get implemented and then get expanded. Yeah, and then I'd just say, because there was also a labor start campaign in relationship to this issue. And so in the last like three or four days, several thousand people sent letters to the the Blue House, the Korean government, um, calling for justice for Kim Jong-un and just say thank you for that. Fantastic, Walson. And certainly our condolences go to the family of uh, Kim Jong-un, but also uh, our respect to the Korean working class and to the civil society that have done this uh, great struggle. And uh, as you said before, the, the job is really not finished. So we wish you all the best in the future and we'll certainly keep uh, in touch uh, with, with developments. Yeah, thank you very much. Street CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Just on 26 past 9 o'clock, we've uh, got a couple of minutes, but you were listening to an interview that we did earlier in the week uh, with uh, Walson uh, Liam, who is the International Relations Department of the Korean um, Public Transport uh, Public Transport Workers Union. Um, now, Matt, she Walson mentioned in, at the end about the... Uh, uh, the supply chain accountability here in Australia as as a model. Um, do you think that's a, a bit of an overestimation of how well our model is working here? I think, Pierre, there are some ways of keeping host employers accountable for accidents, or not accidents, but safety incidents that happen at their workplaces. But with 40% of workers in Australia on insecure work and in contract labour, in many of these cases, we're probably not the best example um, for world's best practice in uh, secure employment. So back to the drawing board uh, here as well. Yeah, quite possibly. All right. Well, thanks um, for that. That's uh, that's important to know as well, especially for some of our international listeners who might 
uh, sort of think that our situation is here in Australia is better than what they what they believe or in their own country. But really, that uh, takes us to the end of uh, of another program of Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. And of course, Matt, in the next couple of weeks, very important here at Three CR. Yes, it is. It's our subscriber drive. So if you want to keep uh, Asia Pacific Currents on the on the air and workers' news and workers' stories on the air, you can. Do your bit by calling up the station on 0394198377 and signing up as a subscriber or renewing your subscription. Or you can, um, I think you head to the website too, Pierre, and sign up. I'll resubscribe there. That's right. We're very technologically advanced these days, uh, even even here. So um, thank you very much, uh, all listeners, for listening in. And uh, a good uh, and a hello to all our international uh, listeners that listen um, uh, through our podcast or live uh, through the internet. But that's all we've got for you today. We'll be back next week with another program of uh, Asia-Pacific Currents. Stay tuned. Um, we'll have uh, Palestine remembered after a short community announcement. But that's all from me, Pierre Morrow. And all from me, Matt Conkle. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.